The Anton Savage Show on News Talk. Our next guest, who I think set the record, or at least is up at the top of the leaderboard for shortest duration from getting elected to Dáil Éireann to becoming the leader of their party, because Ivana Bacic won her election in July 2021, and by March 2022, she was the leader of the Labour Party. That has to be a record. My favourite headline when I was elected to the Dáil in July of last year was overnight success after 30 years, <laughs> which really does sum it up. Unfortunately, I am not a I am not a young prodigy, you know. So I had been I have been involved in political activism for a very long time, and indeed was a member of the Shannon and very proud to be re-elected there on four separate for four separate terms. So I had been a member there for 14 or 15 years before my election to the Dáil. So I suppose it's not quite the overnight success it appears. You joined the party at a, a, a uniquely challenging time. I joined when I was in Trinity in the late 80s when uh, the country was in the grip of a terrible recession with unemployment uh, close to 20% with the expectation that all of us graduates and, and indeed anyone leaving school would be expected to leave the country. The infamous comment by a Fianna Fáil minister at the time that Ireland was too small for its young people and there simply weren't the jobs. So, you know, looking back at that pretty grim time now in the late 80s, dominated by this terrible economic situation, but also by a desperately conservative of society and you know social mores where con- not only was abortion a criminal offence but indeed contraception was. Indeed, and you were threatened at one stage with arrest for giving information in respect of abortion, weren't yes, you? Yes, we were threatened with prison for giving uh, not only arrest but prison for giving information on abortion and of course homosexuality was still an offence, divorce was illegal so you know sometimes when I tell my kids or you, you know young, younger generations it's hard, it's hard I think to appreciate, unless you lived through it, just how much we've moved on from those days. From a party perspective, it was a Labour heyday, though. It was the point at which the spring tide began and you had the the, uh, the then peak for the Labour Party, followed subsequently by the Gilmore second peak, where your popularity hit, a- again, record levels. You have dropped from 24% in the polls down now to about 4%-ish, depending on which poll that you look at. Why? Well, it's certainly true that we've gone through many peaks and troughs and indeed we are the oldest political party in the state. The Labour Party celebrated our 110th anniversary this year uh, and of course we're the political wing of the trade union and organised labour movements. We come from a very proud tradition, a tradition of James Connolly and Tom Johnson uh, and indeed Constance Markiewicz. Um, uh, uh, so certainly there have been very different periods. I, I should say when I joined Anton, it was still not apparent that there was going to be a spring tide. So the late 80s were still a pretty... You know, we weren't. We, Labour wasn't doing hugely well. The spring tide did indeed, as you say, in in 1992, uh, bring forward a new um, a new increase in support for Labour, as we saw in 2011 with uh, when Eamon Gilmore was leader. Uh, and you know, it, the polls currently are disappointing. There's no doubt about that for us. But I do have confidence in our ability to grow. And I suppose I would say two things about our standing in the polls at the moment. One is that a, a low national poll for a small party masks uh, the reality in different constituencies. So that while uh, the national poll may be low, if you look at us in Dublin, we're more than double that rate in, in, in across Dublin. And of course, the second thing to say is that the polls wrote me off in the by-election in July 2021 in Dublin Bay South. And, you know, in fact, and you were, as we what, 30% know, of the first preference? I, I, yeah, I mean, I was absolutely blown away but and so honoured by the result there. To, to win through there, I suppose, Anton, just to say this, showed I think there is a clear appetite for among people generally, as we saw in the by-election, for a constructive voice of change, well, for a, for a Left this is what I want to ask government. you about, because when you take over as leader, when a party has come from uh, 24% and 20 seats down to 4% and 7 seats, you have to look at that and say, 
what caused this? What do I as leader have to do to stop, to stem the, the bleeding and to reverse the uh, flow so that we can build our way back up? What's your analysis? Well, you're absolutely right. We have to rebuild trust in Labour. We have to ensure that people who think Labour will come back to voting Labour as they did before, that people who want to see that uh, constructive message of change actually delivered upon, that that they will see us, Labour, as a real alternative. And as I say, we saw how that can be done in the by-election. We put forward very clear policy, uh, policy messages, policy alternatives based around on climate, on care, on community, on housing. But you know, what do you attribute their departure? Well, if, again, I think what we've seen over many years, and not just with the current position for Labour, but over many years, we've seen smaller parties that go into coalition government effectively being punished by the electorate subsequently. And in, in some ways, that's a consequence of being a smaller party in a coalition because inevitably fewer of that party's policies will be able to go into, will be able to be implemented and uh, and as a result people feel, people who voted, anyone who voted for the, that smaller party, be it the Greens as we saw in the past or the PDs or uh, or, or indeed Labour, uh, anyone who voted for them will then feel, well they didn't deliver on the policies I wanted them to deliver Did you create so it's, it's a, too much of a stick to beat yourselves with? I mean it is it is emblematic of it rather than the single thing but it, it is the emblem that everybody remembers. The, the Tesco ad of what Labour would deliver. It was unusual to see a junior coalition party be so aggressively ambitious about their power in government. The whole Gilmore for Taoiseach thing. Did that create a hostage to fortune that subsequently you got punished for? Well, look, you know, it's now, we've now been longer out of that government than we were in it, I suppose, you know, and it is time to move on. But I would say this about that 2011 election, which is obviously what you're talking about, Anton, you know, that certainly it was an ambitious and a bold programme of campaigning. But at the time, you know, there was a strong, uh, a strong level of support for Labour. Labour were at a level, I think, at that point where, you know, it was, it was, it would might have been anticipated we would have a stronger bargaining power in any coalition. I suppose what what made what made that uh, so difficult, as we all know, in retrospect, you know, is that we had the economic crash. We were no longer the masters of our own e- economy, our own sovereignty. Uh, the uh, troika had already come in. The outgoing Fianna Fáil Green government had brought the country into economic ruin, into bankruptcy. And you know, the government of twenty eleven to sixteen did bring it back out, albeit at a terrible cost, as we all know, in terms of the policies that were adopted. But many of them had already been uh, adopted by the outgoing government. So I, th- you know, I think those were unprecedented times. I think we all very much hope, despite the brutal war in Ukraine and the, you know, the terrible cost of living crisis now, I think we all very much hope we won't see that level of economic ruin in our country again. You're in an interesting position now though because if you if you look back to the last time that a party was faced with a similar rebuilding challenge it was Fine Gael off the back of the 2002 election and they at least had the advantage of being the lead party in opposition which brings with it attention, publicity, access to leaders, questions, all of that kind of thing. To, to a great degree Sinn Féin has stolen what would have been Labour's clothes on the left and is now the lead party of opposition. How do you carve a space out in the public discourse in that context? Well, certainly um, Sinn Féin are doing very well in the polls. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I suppose for us in Labour, the challenge is, and the, 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 you know, 
it's a great opportunity too, is to put forward a positive message of constructive change from a very clear centre-left socialist or social democratic position. And that's what we offer. I mean, Labour, as I say, has a strong track record of delivering on change, of going into government, of bringing about, be it social changes like divorce, like contraception rights, or be it economic changes like social welfare increases, like in innovations at the time, like Frank Klusky with uh, an allowance for single parents. These are the things that Labour over many decades has delivered on. And as a, and because of our roots, because of our strong connections to the trade union movement, and because of our strong network around the country. And I've been travelling around, you know, all our different membership uh, organisations around the country in recent months. And I'm so heartened by the level of activism at grassroots that we in Labour have. And I think that's the unique strength we have, is our tradition, our, uh, our that legacy we have of delivering on change, but also our strong positive message. And I took a really clear decision in the by-election campaign last summer. We would run a positive campaign. We would be promoting our Labour message about strong public services, about investment in healthcare and education and childcare and in the and in housing and public housing. And these are the messages that Labour uniquely stands for and can deliver on. And that's what we did. We did a positive campaign emphasising our own message. And that's how we build support. I think that's that's our that's my goal and certainly my mission. All of which is laudable from an ethical and a moral perspective. Is it what the electorate wants? Because as we now look at it, we have a cost of living crisis where a lot of people, particularly those who are pinched by it, would be saying what they would want Labour to be doing is baying for the blood of the government parties who are resisting for instance, doing an emergency budget or a mini budget to answer that kind of query. Does warm positivity deliver in that context? What I hear every day from my own constituents in Dublin Bay South and as I go around the country is people who are desperately squeezed by the cost of living crisis. It is having a brutal effect on so many households. We saw reports from Barnardo's in recent weeks talking about parents having to buy open-toed sandals and pyjamas for their children because the cost of clothing, the cost of shoes have gone up. People uh, pinched and squeezed on fuel costs, on on basic bread and butter, literally on bread and butter issues, uh, on on the price of basic food. I hear every day from constituents who cannot afford their rent anymore, who are faced with eviction and can't find anywhere to rent, never mind anywhere affordable, just nowhere at all to rent. Uh, One constituent who was invited to make an offer a bidding war to rent a property in the city in in, the, in Dublin city because there are so few places to rent. So you know, I'm absolutely conscious, as we all are in Labour, of the immense burden being put upon households. And do you feel the pressure to but, hold the government but, to account in that context? And we do, and I suppose that's that's the point. We do hold the government to account, but I don't believe in shouty performance politics for the sake of it. I don't believe in manufactured outrage or shouting matches, and I don't believe what that's what people want. But what I'm hearing from the the families, the women, the men, I'm meet every day is constructive constructive approaches that will actually deliver change and that's the reality People And can you campaign that way in an era of social media when the pressures on you are so much to be distilled into the soundbite the video, the clip, the 140 or 280 character tweet, all of that kind of thing, can you take the noble overarching view when what you need is attention and traction? Well it's not as if anyone's on, not as if we're trying to take any sort of high moral ground on this and of course there's room for anger. We were very angry in Labour in recent weeks when the government wasn't taking seriously our motion, our bill on autism. You know, we're so conscious and again in in Dublin, in my own area, so many parents desperate for school places for their children but because their children are autistic they are not being offered appropriate or any school places. So there's a room for anger. Absolutely, Anton. I mean, it's not that we don't express that. It's not that we don't hold government to account. Of course we do. I stand up every day in the doll as do my Labour colleagues 
colleagues and we hold the government to account. But it's about being effective and it's about being constructive and looking to actually make change. I, As a senator, I had a record of bringing more private members' bills into law, actually bringing bills into law, which is, you know, the most important thing a legislator can do than any other opposition senator. And the reason was I worked constructively with government to deliver change. What I don't believe in is shouting from the sidelines, manufacturing outrage. On you mentioned your track record of bringing things into law through the Senate. In large part, this has to be attributable, not uh, in, in one part to the level of work that you would put in. The other part, of course, being your legal background, being a law lecturer in Trinity means you were expert in the crafting of uh, legislation. In respect of that, when you look at your CV, there is an awful lot of activism. There doesn't seem to be as much socialism, or is that a totally inaccurate assessment? <laughs> well, I'm delighted you asked me because it means I can I can say, Anton, I've been a socialist all my life. I mean, all my adult life, you know. Uh, I certainly joined uh, Labour in Trinity in the late 80s, as I said, because I was so taken by the message of the Labour Party, that origins in the trade union movement, that message of socialism, that principled stand. But will people say a Trinity law lecturer is not what we think of when we think socialist? Well, let me put it this way. You know, for a long time, people's backgrounds, you know, who people were, was seen as some sort of barrier to their entry into politics. Women were denied entry into politics for a very long time and there are still far too few of us in there. Less than one quarter of our TDs are women. So to suggest that anyone's background or career or profession is somehow a barrier to them embracing a particular style of politics, to me, that's utterly wrong. I recently launched a biography of the second leader of the Labour Party, Thomas O'Connell, and he was criticised by trade unionists for becoming leader because why? He was a teacher teacher, a white collar worker, and therefore he couldn't represent blue collar workers. Now we might find that laughable, but I think there's the same, if I may say, if I may say inverse snobbery at work. And I certainly don't buy that. I, we are a party that is open for, to everybody of any class background, of any ethnicity, sexuality, gender identity. That's really important to us as an inclusive socialist party, that we stand for change and we want people to join us who believe in that message of change. So, you know, I've left Trinity now, of course, I was, you know, I loved my time teaching. I'm, I meet students students constantly, former students, and I absolutely love teaching law and, and indeed practising law because I was a practising barrister as a criminal barrister for many years. But, you know, I would reject any suggestion that that somehow prevents me being a, a true Labour person. I've been in the party, as I say, for decades and I've always been a trade unionist too. I'm still a member of IFOT, which is a great trade union. Can I go back to the um, a party and uh, you talk about the, the policy position that you want to take and, and the clarity for what Labour stands for. When you look back over the last number of years of Labour, is there anything that needs to be changed? changed because in listening to you the sense that I get is that your view is that the electorate has the electoral tide has gone out and the electoral tide will come back in and Labour will remain the same. No, that's not what I believe at all. I mean, I certainly don't think there's any inevitability about any anything. In fact, there's no inevitability in politics at all as we all say, you know, a week is a long time. How have you found being leader? Is it fun? It's exciting. I'm in, I'm enjoying it. I I absolutely love First of all, I love being a TD. I'm so honoured to represent Dublin Bay South, so honoured to receive the vote I got, that huge, that great vote last summer. Yeah, but leader comes with a lot of, work. and I use the term advisedly, labour. There's a lot of touring around the country. There's a lot of flesh that has to be pressed. There is an internal team that has to be built. There are people who have to be disappointed about gigs that they will and won't get. 
all of that is a fair burden. Is it an enjoyable burden? Well, you're setting out the negatives. I do enjoy it. I love it. I love going around the country meeting people. I, you know, I've been, as I say, I've been a party member and an activist for a very long time. These are my friends and comrades. These are the people I've worked with and struggled with and campaigned with and marched with over so many years. One final thing I wanted to ask you before I let you go. We mentioned earlier on you facing imprisonment for giving information in respect of uh, abortions, this being back in yes. the, the uh, late 80s, early 90s. Your reaction, therefore, to the uh, US Supreme Court decision of a couple of weeks ago in respect of reversing Roe versus Wade? I was horrified, absolutely horrified and quite distressed. Uh, you know, it, I think it, it hit any of us who'd campaigned for change here, who'd been part of the repeal referendum in 2018. I think it really did distress many of us. And it, what's particularly distressing is that after 50 years to see such a fundamental right for women being reversed so absolutely to the point where women in clinics awaiting procedures in, in some US states were told that those procedures would have to stop. They couldn't go in to the clinic, to the operating theatre because of the decision of the Supreme Court. So it was a chilling moment. I called a, de- a demonstration. We had large numbers even in the rain outside the US embassy protesting at the decision. I think for us in Ireland it does, it sends us two important messages. First, that we can't take anything for granted and that we must continue to advocate strongly for women's abortion rights here. And secondly, that we must ensure our own laws are robust. Ivana Bacic, leader of the Labour Party, thank you very much for coming in this morning. Thank you, Anton. The Anton Savage Show, Saturday morning at nine on News Talk.